The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911. on the Central Coast. It is Tuesday, March 7th, 2023. I'm Dave Congleton, welcoming you to another edition of Hometown Radio. This is a strange chair. Where'd you get this chair from? Uh, I know a guy. All right. Out on the streets. Craig put a new chair in here. It's kind of strange. All right. Anyway, new chair or not, we're here all the way till 7 o'clock on this broadcast today. At 4.05, our friends with Vocal Arts Ensemble will be here. They have a big conference concert actually coming up it's the chair i blame the chair coming up uh, later this month we'll tell you about it special treat at 4 30 john spaulding is returning with the templeton high school ukulele club the studio is going to be jammed with young ukulele players they'll take requests david mullinex in the league of california cities at 505 Reports on everything happening, not happening up in Sacramento. At 6.05, restaurateur Larry Pewter calls it quits. He'll explain why. It is the Dave Congleton Show, always your hometown radio talk show. First up, always good to be in conversation with the one, the only, historian extraordinaire, Dr. James Papp. James, how are you, sir? I'm fine. I'm not as much fun as ukuleles. I'm sorry everybody's listening now rather than later. Well, <laughs> do you play the ukulele? I bet you do. I, I you don't, do it. but my my eldest sister, when she retired, um, read that you needed to do something with your mind so as not to fall to pieces. Right. So um, suggestions were learn a language, learn an instrument. She's no good at languages, so she took up the ukulele and recently um, played a serenade for me and my other sister's. Uh, on a Zoom. You should so. have her Zoom into the show and she could join in with the kids. I, well, she just got back from this month-long cruise and 20 hours of traveling uh, on the plane and so on, so I don't know if she's in acceptable shape, but um, that's not why I'm here. I know. One of the reasons <laughs> we did want you here is to follow up during the first part with the conversation we had yesterday with Mona Tucker from the TYY northern Shumash tribe talking about Diablo Canyon and, and Mona was quite passionate if you missed the conversation it's up on the website at 920kvc.com she's quite passionate about the Shumash roots to the land surrounding uh, Diablo Canyon and the whole central coast yeah it's a it's a fascinating story and it's a story that Europeans have a very glancing uh, contact with if I can so describe what essentially wiped out the Chumash here, um, al- almost completely except for 
uh, well, the Yachtichu-Tichu Yachtilhini that... that um, Man, you nailed it. That, I'm um, Mona shares. Well, I've been on the show with Mona before. You weren't yeah. here. Guy was uh, hosting. Yeah. This was many years ago when we were trying to save the Chumash-made aqueduct in downtown San Luis Obispo, which we succeeded in doing thanks to uh, this show and the Tribune and, and others who gave publicity. But... Um, so one of the reasons I'm I'm here is that I'm a recluse and I've spent I never leave my room <laughs> because I'm working on a book on the history of architecture in San Luis Obispo County. And I wanted to start with the Chumash because they, of course, have this um, thousands of years of history of architecture here. So what kinds of things were they building? Well, um, we have a survival, a kind of survival. Uh, if you've ever been out to, and if you haven't, you should go to um, Carrizo Plains. Um, they must be having a fantastic super bloom this spring, so good excuse to go out. And you can make a reservation to go to Painted Rock. And it's, it's an amazing experience. Um, it is a kind of a U-shaped rock formation. It's, um, I think it's about 240 feet long and about 120 feet wide. I may have the dimensions wrong. Maybe it's 240 feet long. It's, it's a big thing, and you walk into it, and there are these um, amazing paintings um, attributed to uh, Chumash and Yokut um, painters. So that was clearly a, a sort of a holy site with, um, you know, records. People were going in and gathering there and, and looking at these paintings. And what's interesting, when you um, read accounts of the early Europeans with contact with the Chumash, they do talk about Chumash paintings uh, out in the Channel Islands and how painting is an important part of, of what they do. And from my perspective as an architectural historian, they also talk about the architecture. And the different um, Spanish and Portuguese explorers who are coming out in this area uh, talk, uh, they use consistently this wonderful phrase that their houses, their buildings look like a half orange. A half orange. <laughs> yeah, you can tell they were all scurvy ridden oh, and okay. desperate for vitamin C, <laughs> uh, which which they were. I mean, it, when, when Father Sarah came up to um, California, he, fortunately for this, for himself and his his group, Portola and and um, uh, Gaspar de Portola and, and Father Sarah were on the same uh, land expedition. And Father Sarah had this horribly infected leg, but he still made it up. The people who came by ship, virtually all of them died because of scurvy. It was they they arrived in San Diego to find them all dying. They'd gotten there first, but they had been without any vitamin C. <laughs> for, you know, weeks and months. So what time period are we talking about with the, the Shumash? When were they here? Well, they've been here for thousands of years. When Europeans contact them is in the... Um, most of our accounts are in the late um, 18th century, but... Also, and I'm, I'm unfortunately blanking on his name, and there are people shouting at their television. Sorry, not their television. It's not that grand. At their radio sets and saying, you idiot, it's. Um, uh, uh, the, the first, there was a, a voyage which preceded all the others by about 150 years. Okay. And he, I know all the details, but the name is not going to come to me until tonight. That's fine. Um, where... Um, when the rest, 
when the land voyagers to Alta California, uh, such as Portola, when they went up to try and find Monterey Bay, it was on his instructions. Oh, there's this great bay, and he gave the coordinates. They got up there. They couldn't see it because they were looking at it from the land, and it didn't look so great from the land. any rate, he, he encountered um, the Chumash, and he, um, his diarists described you know, their architecture and their um, ceremonies and so on. And then you get a series of other people, Juan Cabrillo as well. Um, in the 17th century. So you've got hundreds of years of contact of people coming in. And the funny thing they all say is, oh, they have these houses like half oranges, which clearly impressed them a great deal uh, because it was very hard in European architecture to make a dome, to make a dome stand up. (laughs) You know, you had to have all the pieces fitting together. Well, what was the Shumash secret? So what they did is instead of trying to build domes out of stone or brick, which is what we were doing, they very sensibly did it with sticks. So they would get these very, you know, these long, flexible sapling trunks, stick them in the ground about 20 feet um, from each other, and then they would connect them at the top. And then they would make a series of these in a circumference, all connected at the top. And then they would... um, create uh, a with similar flexible uh, material um, saplings etc they would willow um, different in different places could be sycamore in some places they would make a uh, ribs going up the side and then they would weave tule thatch into these very tightly and so what they ended up with was something that looked like a half orange which had a nice little hole at the top for the smoke to go out and which had um, doors that you could bar and uh, to keep people out and that um Various witnesses, various informants from the um, that we have of the Spanish and the Portuguese say that there were up to 60 people living in, in one of these. So some 60. Of, yeah. So some of them must have been quite big. In general, they are described as being about uh, 20 feet in diameter mm. and that there would be um, a few families in it. Um, All right. We're in conversation. Dr. James Papp, historian extraordinaire. Talking a little bit in the beginning here about the show we had yesterday with Mona Tucker about the origins of the Shumash on the Central Coast. More stories still to come right here on AM 920, FM 96.5, News Talk, KVEC. This is the Dave Congleton Show, always your hometown radio talk show. Always good to be in conversation with Dr. James Papp, one of the smartest guys I know. I can't keep up with his brain. We're talking a bit about the Shumash, following up on yesterday's conversation with Mona Tucker. Mona couldn't think of an example yesterday, James, where the uh, Native Americans bought back or were given back land that had been taken from them. In, they, the, in this area? Any, no, just anywhere in the country. Oh, um, by the way, I can't keep up with my brain either. It's yeah. uh, been falling apart, which is why I can't think of <laughs> think of the. I've, and I've been trying to find my notes on my computer, which I brought with me because my brain is falling apart. Um, um, having bought back land, um, I actually um, this is not here. Um, 
my um, four times great grandfather was a Chippewa chief of a very teeny tiny tribe, like 50 folks. And um, they were given this really horrible reservation in the early 19th century. Literally, it was like 20 miles long and a few yards wide. They were supposed to take care of this road that the Canadians had built uh, up by what is now Toronto. And after a few years, this obviously wasn't going to work. So they said, oh, can we... um, can we, you know, get some money for this and buy something else? And the Canadian government said yes. And they managed, of course, to buy the worst piece of land in Canada um, on this um, little lake called Kuchiching um, up there. And you may, if you are a big Gordon Lightfoot fan and have listened to every bad song he ever wrote... (laughs) He wrote some very good ones, but he has this song about Lake Kuchiching. I think he's actually from up there, but I kind of think he may have written this song because now my um, my tribe has this big casino there, and it's yeah. the biggest casino in Canada because uh, it's right near Toronto. So they did actually buy that land, and yeah, um, but then that's, it was really terrible. That's and then probably the exception. By oh, large. yeah, I think it is in general an uh, exception. But there's no denying that the Shumash have a legitimate claim to that land. I mean, in terms of its roots and connections, and we did take it from them. Yeah, because they've got nothing. Yeah. And it's and it's um, a story. If you go on a tour, um, you know, it's very odd. It's really odd to read um, the accounts of how Alta California was colonized because the people involved are really kind of nuts. Um, I use that word advisedly because I was fired from my position for using that word, my unpaid position with the city um, for describing something as nuts, but they were nuts. I mean, Father Sarah, um, you know, wrote all these complaints about how witches were flying around and um, how annoying it was. And and the viceroy of um, of uh, Mexico was really the impetus behind the mission going up. And and it was partly strategic. The Russians were poking around uh, and they didn't. So they really wanted California to lay claim to that area. Well, the cheap way was to to send the missionaries up. But he also seemed to have really believed in um, in in the mission of of converting the Indians. And so the viceroy of of uh, Mexico actually got into a first of all, the the ships were leaking and he said, oh, I've got a plan. Um, There's this particular kind of cactus that you can caulk the ships with. And he didn't just send other people off to get it. He himself (laughs) was standing there caulking the ships. Everybody's watching him. Then he gets into a vestment packing race with Father Sarah. There and is very of pleased he that he won and that he packed more vestments into the cases before Father Sarah could do. Any rate, the, the the point is they get up there. the 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 Franciscans are never prepared. Everybody's dying. It's really awful. Um, but what they do is they basically enslave the Indians. If your definition of slavery is that you cannot leave. <laughs> And that you actually get seized if you do leave, or even often seized if you didn't leave, if you were just never involved with the mission in the first place, that you work for subsistence and you have corporal punishment, and that everybody locally said you were enslaved. When other Europeans came in, they said, oh, the Indians slave. These people are enslaved. When Mexico got its independence from Spain, they said, we are going to... um, 
Oh, I've just blanked on the word. We we are going to emancipate the Indians. Well, you can't emancipate people unless they are enslaved. So um, what happened is here they are living in these nice little round huts that very much suit them. And if they degrade, very easy to buy a new one if you get too many pests. And then the um, fathers at San Luis Obispo are not very happy with that and the, the mission San Luis Obispo. And they say, well, you have to build um, 20 by 17 foot um, adobe huts, which will be all in a row on either side of Choro Street or the, the road out to the Choro Valley, as it then was. And um, there were 40 of these on each side, and there are only three of those left. I happen to live in one of them. I live in the oldest inhabited building. Uh, the, actually, the oldest inhabited room in San Luis Obispo, which is, which is kind of exciting, but it was also a slave cabin. How old is it? Um, these were built between 1801 and 1810. And it's kind of interesting to me that they were about the same size as a Chumash dwelling that were all described as being about 20 by 20 feet. This was 20 by 17, but it's less efficient because it's rectangular rather than round. Um, so at least listeners out there, you know, one person who lives in a slave cabin. Um, On the Stolberg Tatum text line, we have a rather, rather intelligent listener who is telling us that the Navajo have been buying thousands of acres to add to the Navajo Nation in the Four Corners area. Yeah, good for them. I mean, there were there have been um, Indian tribes and nations who have gotten a hold of, of cash in one way or another, either um, mineral, oil, or... Um, or um, sometimes legal. My tribe up in, um, in by Toronto got a huge settlement from the Canadian government, um, which I can't remember. I think it's over a hundred million Canadian dollars. Um, so I don't know what the Canadian dollar is right now. The loony. So that may not be very much in American terms. Uh, I think they're near parity, but. Um, any rate, so the interesting sort of coda to this story about these. Uh, what are called wikioops in, in a kind of a generic sense, um, but that's not a, a northern Chumash word. The northern Chumash word for them is knipu, Q-N-I-P-U, and that's what they called these domed huts. And these these were up and down the coast, the various um, Chumash um, uh, speaking groups, uh, linguistic groups, uh, because it was really diverse linguistically. And and language has something to do with this, because the reason that Mona Tucker's tribe has been able to revive the northern Chumash language to become a living language again, one of the big reasons is that in 1916, um, the last native speaker of northern Chumash, who was... Um, an ancestor of Mona's named Rosario Cooper, she sat down with a guy named John Harrington, who was a kind of an itinerant, um, oddball, but extremely productive uh, linguist and anthropologist. And he took 10,000 pages of notes on Northern Chumash. Jeez. And he also made wax cylinder recordings of her singing. All right, Dr. James Papp on this broadcast, historian extraordinaire. We'll continue to hear stories as we continue first news and traffic and weather and more of Hometown Radio.
It is Friday morning. All eyes will be on a courtroom in Salinas where Paul Flores is uh, expected to be sentenced in the uh, disappearance of Kristen Smart. Podcaster Chris Lambert will be our special guest Monday at 5 o'clock, and we will look back on the last uh, 27 years. It is a Dave Congleton show, always your hometown radio talk show. Dr. James Papp, historian extraordinaire, is joining us, talking a little bit about uh, Shumash, a little bit about local architecture. You were telling the story about John Harrington before the news break. Yes. Um, so John Harrington um, and and Rosario Cooper worked together to um, save the northern Shumash language. The um, tribe is now relearning the language, doing lessons, speaking it. Um, I mean, it's really exciting. And, and this was through their joint efforts. Now, Harrington did something else interesting. He was the one who sat down with a lot of different Chumash informants and asked how these, um, asked their recollections of what these Knipu, or whatever they called them in different Chumash language groups, uh, looked like and how they were made. And then in 1923, <laughs> this is so cool, he got a bunch of Chumash guys, and they went to the Ventura County Fair, and they built some. <laughs> and there are, even better, there are photographs of these. Because I was thinking, how am I going to get a photograph? You know, these, these I'm doing this book, and I need, you know, people don't want to look at, don't want to hear about something that they can't see. want to see a photo. So you can actually go to the Smithsonian, smithsonian.gov it probably is, and type in, uh, if you type in Harrington and Ventura, these will pop up. And they're amazing. Um, I'm going to do that right now while you talk. It's these guys who um, who are, you know, building this based on their own memory, the memories of uh, people who were the informants of um, Harrington. And so then these these Chumash Wikioops, these Knipu, um Stayed on the on the waterfront there in Ventura for a few years. I have bad news for you. If you type in Harrington Ventura, you get a dentist named uh, Pat Harrington. Well, you have to do it. Uh, are you on the Smithsonian website? No, sorry, no. Yeah, you have to go to Smithsonian.gov, and there's a little search mechanism in it. Too many Harringtons. Yeah, and you'll and you'll get um, and and you will find these pictures. So. Um, it's it's just a really interesting thing of reviving. Well, Dave is showing the. Oh, did Craig's someone got, text that in? Oh, no, Craig, Craig found Craig, it. Craig, where'd you find this? Uh, I just googled the. Uh, uh, what do you? I just used the name Harrington. What was it? Um, and Ventura. Harrington talk? Ventura uh, Chumash. Yeah, and okay. then so I went Chumash. to Google Images. So you have Chumash, yeah. and then you do it. Yeah, it popped up. If that house was there today, Craig and Los Osos, that'd be, what, uh, $900,000? <laughs> well, it depends on the location, if it's on the waterfront or maybe up on, like, 15th Street. You know, yeah. big difference. So this is it, right there. Yeah, definitely on the waterfront. Uh, by it, um, those of you in Radioland, um, they can see it. Dave is showing me a... That. Oh, it's on your website? They'll see it. Very cool. So that is... It was, to me, very exciting to find those um, pictures and so that people you know at the beginning of the book will be able to see what it was that the spanish were describing and um it's so these are fairly consistent up and down california um the salinans had are described as having these as well they were up in the santa clara area and i don't remember the indian group that was up there are there any out there today being preserved 
Not preserved. These were okay. intended to be disposable. Right. I mean, it's kind of like mobile homes surviving. And um, uh, well, I hope your mobile home survives. But yeah. but these, you know, the idea was when they got too infested with creepy crawlies, you would you know just set fire to it and build a new one. You know, this was very available material. The notion of having you know a house that was going to last for hundreds of years didn't really make any sense to them. So, um, but there there have been groups that have been trying to rebuild. And I think the Dana Adobe um, in South County has plans, has been having plans to do such a thing. Did the Shumash move uh, around a lot? Um, well, as far as we know, there's a, the, the, interestingly, when Porto Law contacts the Chumash in San Luis Obispo County as he's going up to try and find Monterey Bay. Um, he comes upon a, um, a group um, down in the Pismo area um, run by a guy na- that the Spanish give the rude name, uh, nickname of El Buchan too, because he has a kind of a goiter or, or some kind of growth a tumor under his neck. And, and Buchan is, uh, is the name for one of these big breasted pigeons. Um, and he apparently had the, the habitations that they expected. Then they got up um, towards Morro Bay and they came upon a Chumash group and said that they're just sleeping under the stars, basically. But it's not clear. They seem to think that it hadn't occurred to them to build houses. My suspicion is that they were off on a trip from wherever their normal houses were. They were hunting or gathering or, you know, whatever. Um, because it doesn't make any sense when you can build something this easily and it's all up and down the coast that you wouldn't build it. Craig is posting the photos of these houses on our Facebook page at Bistock 920 KVEC. So go take a look. It's very, they're very cool. And of course, the the wonderful thing about round or or particularly spherical, I mean, the most efficient space is a spherical space. It's a little difficult to live in. A half sphere is the second most efficient. And then in the 19th century, there was a vogue in the middle of the century for octagonal buildings, hence the octagon barn in San Luis Obispo. Well, then several people love the idea of living in a geodesic dome. Yes. Circular. Yes. And there still is a geodesic desic dome up in that canyon by Cal Poly. Uh, there's one uh, I know a guy lives in a house in Aurora Grande that's a geodesic dome. Yeah, but I think the one in Cal Poly was actually uh, Buckminster Fuller came to Cal Poly and helped work on that one with them. Hmm. Um, and then some other students stole it as a prank and it has this long interesting history. Dr. James Papp on this broadcast talking about Schumash, a little bit about architecture. Since you're writing about architecture, what are your general impressions of the architecture on the Central Coast? Meaning, do we have any interesting buildings that stand out in your mind? The architecture on the Central Coast is absolutely amazing. Okay. Um, it is, you know, keep in mind that this was the frontier. This was the edge of the world. And, but yet, everybody was keeping into, in, in contact um, as, as best they could. And during the 19th century, as you've got the telegram and the telegraph and, and railroads and ships and so on. Um, you know, everybody is writing about architecture. It, and the thing that really irritates me, there are many things that irritate me, dear listeners. But one of them, one of the major ones, is when people write about San Luis Obispo County architecture and say, and misidentify the styles of buildings and say, well, that's because we were very behind the times. Did you read the story about the author Ray Bradbury coming to speak at Cal Poly and being openly critical of the architecture? 
Oh, I, of Cal Poly architecture? Yeah, yeah. Cal Poly architecture is, is <clears throat> C-R-A-P. Okay. Uh, but that's because it all, it, basically most of it came from some central state design They didn't learn area. by doing. Yeah, no. Um, right. it, it's notorious that the worst building on a, on a campus is always the architecture department. Um, up at, at, UC, at, at UCB, that was the case, uh, Worcester Hall, uh, named after a very good architect, but the actual building is really depressing but um so so talk about give me an example of a building that really impresses you architecturally that's not a mission so i uh, let me talk oh there are so many but let me talk first about really my favorite in many ways which is the fremont theater okay and the fremont theater when so think of the context 1930s and they are building in dribs and drabs, in, in actually three dribs, two dribs and one drab, the county courthouse. Because first the section facing Monterey gets built, and the old county courthouse from 1873 is still standing behind it. Then they tear that down. Alex Madonna tears that down. Very interesting story there, which you may or may not know, um, where he <laughs> basically bid about a tenth on the project as everybody else did. And so drove his <laughs> made a big um a, a big ramp of rubble and basically drove his, his tractors his borrowed i think it was bulldozer and knocked down the the top floor and then this and then the second floor and then the bottom floor and then sold the bricks to passerby as souvenirs <laughs> So after Smart that, guy. after that, he got into the Army Corps of Engineers and, and learned the business. But um, this building, this county courthouse, is what's known as PWA Modern. Modern is modern with an E at the end. And Modern doesn't actually have much to do with modernist architecture. It really comes from Art Deco. And it, um, but it, Modern was basically. Um, PWA Modern stands for Public Works Administration, so it's all of these courthouses and schools and so on that they're building during the Depression with federal money. And it's a very classical style. Uh, if you look at the um, courthouse, you will see that there are these spread eagles on it, which you'd think are American eagles, but they're actually borrowed from ancient Rome, which had these spread eagle um, emblems. There are laurel wreaths. There are urns. There are columns, but all very stylized. And the oddest thing on the um, earliest part, which is, I think, 1936, which is the front facing Monterey, is a lady and a man who are... Um, facing away from each other. The lady has a torch, the man has a shield, and behind them are fasces. Now, fasces are a bundle of rods. This is a, a Latin word. We're a bundle of rods representing the, the judicial power, the magistracy uh, in ancient Rome, uh, tied with a strip. But that is also where the word fascist comes from. Really? Um, that was specifically... Um, Mussolini chose that word to to sort of um, emanate that power, but with justice. And so the fascists are already in power in Italy by the 1920s. And what do these Americans do? They put these two fascist symbols. I mean, granted, they are also symbols outside of fascism. But by then, they're very much connected to fascism on um, the uh, front of the courthouse. So, so what about the Fremont Theater? So... 
<laughs> that is all Roman revival, right? It's it's all these Roman references, and it's very staid, and it's very upright, and it's very symmetrical, and so on. Uh, and it's finished in 1941. In 1942, they build the Fremont. And why are they so interesting together? Well, the um, architect of the Fremont was a guy named Simeon Levi. Um, but uh, he went to the Navy. He was from Chicago, went to the Navy, big admirer of Frank Lloyd Wright, um, came out, got a, an architecture degree, and he cha- came out to L.A. and changed his name from Simeon Levi to S. Charles Lee. And, um, you know, to fit in a bit better in a fairly anti-Semitic period. And he he made a lot of buildings. He designed a lot of buildings, but in particular movie palaces. His daughter claimed he designed 400 of them, which would have had to be one about every two and a half weeks. But I've seen photographs and plans for at least 120. Um, His papers are at UCLA. And he had a modus operandi. He had a... Um, auditorium, which of course you needed for a movie um, theater, and he had a tower because you needed to see it from a distance. It's say, oh, well, that will be a place to find entertainment, yeah. <laughs> whether yeah. I have access to a newspaper or not. You know, hang out in the in in a movie, all night movies. People used to hang out in. Um, so before TVs, so he had built something that looked quite a bit like the Fremont a year before in San Diego. It was a bowling alley. And it had that big kind of sail on it that you see in the Fremont, but with an important difference. It didn't have the fluting, the sort of striations that went down the side. The other thing that's different about the Fremont is that, and he was a great revivalist. He loved to refer to Mission Revival or Spanish Revival or Babylonian Revival. All of the neon, all of the terrazzo, all of the motifs on the Fremont Theater are all ancient Greek. It has these big curling acanthus leaves everywhere, which were right. the ancient Greek symbol of of uh, eternal life or of rebirth, rather. It has these red lotus blossoms. It has Greek key patterns, which are mentioned Vitruvius. It has Vitruvian waves. All of this is in spectacular neon. It used to have glowing carpet. The carpet was woven with... Um, with material that would react in black light, and the carpet was woven with acanthus leaves. It's all Greek. It's so extraordinary. Uh, let's take a call. We've got Garth on yeah. KVEC. Hey, Garth. Hey, David. Hi, Dr. Papp. I Hi, enjoy when you're on the show. Um, David had asked a question earlier about, um, I think it was ancestral land return to, to tribes, and um, we do have an instance of that um, fairly close here, and that would be the Esalen tribe of, of Big Sur. Yes. Um, there was a deal starting in about uh, 2019 where I think so far over a 1,000 acres has been returned to that tribe. Um, wondered if you, you had heard anything about that. Well, no, I, I don't know any more about you because, like you, I read the papers, um, but... I mean, it's it's lovely because their name was basically stolen and made famous by the Esalen Institute, right. which has nothing to do with them. And, right. you know, kind of like our, our own Yachtichutichu Yachtilhini, they kind of were... You know, you kind of had to be a, a sort of a big warlike tribe to get a little bit of 
of what was coming to you to at least get a decent sized reservation and so on. What happened to the to the Chumash by and large who were around the mission is in 1852 there was this terrible cholera epidemic which pretty much targeted them because they had the unsafe water and the whites were presumably getting spring water I and mean, people didn't quite know the relationship between water and health but they knew there was a relationship. And so the reason Rosario Cooper survived is her father was English, the doctor at the mission, and her mother was Chumash. And so the hundreds of people who had lived in San Luis Obispo, hundreds of Chumash people, um, which had was originally the Chumash settlement of Tilhini, which Father Sarah writes at the beginning of the baptismal and marriage record. He I mean, we're building this mission on the site of, you know, next to Tilhini. Overnight, um, most of them were wiped out, and San Luis Obispo suddenly was there, and Tilhini was not. Mm-hmm. When, when the Chumash had been in the vast majority, there had been hundreds of Chumash in town and only a few whites. So that kind of, you know, just people kind of disappear, and from the white perspective, like the Esalen, very tiny tribe. And so it's amazing and wonderful that they've managed to get their land back, and I wish the same for the Yatichu Tichu Yatilhini. Garth? And like you said, you know, the Esalen tribe is one of the smallest tribes in the United States. Um, interestingly, interestingly enough, one of the things that worked in their favor is that they were never um, identified um, officially as, as a tribe by the, by the U.S. government. So um, actually, because of that reason, that's why um, it was easier to get their, um, some of their land returned. Once you're designated an official tribe in the U.S., it's actually harder to to get land oh, returned. So I thought that was interesting. Mm. Yeah, and the Yakti Chuchichu are not recognized by the federal government. Other other Chumash tribes are. There are numerous, um, all the way from Malibu up to here, Chumash groups. All right, uh, Garth, thanks for the call. Look what Craig found. Craig, where'd you find this? Uh, I just Googled 1940s Art Deco Bowling Alley San Diego. Yeah. Went to the images, and here's it today. Yeah. And, and Dr. Papp is right. It looks just like the Fremont. Yep. Yeah, and unfortunately, it has closed. I actually thought it had been demolished, but apparently not. So that's good. Um, but yeah, th- um, actually, a client of mine was sending me some pictures of theaters in, in the valley, in the Central Valley, that um, Lee had also done. But what's so, but all of these, so the reason it's so important that you have the striations, the fluting on the... Um, Fremont is it looks exactly like a Greek Psalterian, a, a Greek liar. And so it just goes with all the other Greek stuff. And I have to say, even as an architectural historian, I, I was sitting one day and I was drinking tea out of a old 1820s tea service I have, which was a big era for Greek revival. And I was looking at it and I said, oh, my God, all of these are all on the Fremont Theater, all of these motifs, these palmettes and lotus blossoms and so on. My theory of what um, of what um, as Charles Lee was up to was, first of all, he was doing ginger to um, the county courthouse's Fred. Here you have this pink, <laughs> outrageous, streamlined modern opposite this very staid and respectable PWA modern. The other thing he's doing is people had known, um, certainly had been talking about in some circles since the 19th, early 19th century, maybe in the late 18th, that 
Greek temples had actually been painted and painted quite bright colors of red and blue and yellow and so on. But a, this had become more into the public knowledge in the early 20th century. And I think as Charles Lee was saying, okay, you know, let it rip. Um, we'll have these huge motifs in all these bright neon colors. That's Greek revival for you folks. All right, Dr. James Papp on this broadcast. We could do whole, we could do four hours with this guy. Uh, we'll come back for a final segment. We're live, we're local. This is Hometown Radio. Craig has also put up the photo of the bowling alley that looks like the Fremont Theater on our Facebook page at Newstalk 920 KVEC. I got about 90 seconds left, uh, Dr. Papp. Always a good conversation. You wanted to mention the uh, people, Temple of the People the in Halcyon. The Temple of the People in Halcyon, because the person who designed the county courthouse, um, the, um, Percy Eisen, his father, Theodore Eisen, his last work was the um, Temple of the People at Halcyon. And it's another gorgeous classical revival work, really a Greek revival. Um, and it is an amazing building. It's it's based on these sort of round um, <sighs> temples or or sort of sites that the Greeks used to do and then the and the Romans did. It's a very unusual form that was surrounded by um, columns. And However, in the case of the Temple of the People in Halcyon, it's three-sided, but each of the sides curves. Go down to Halcyon. It's a beautiful building. Yeah, it's a beautiful building. Go down to Halcyon, take a look at it, you know, walk through the town, which is just a, a vision of our past. And, and Halcyon truly is Halcyon. And it was, it was founded by the Theosophists to be a kind of a combined community and religious community. They had a pottery there. They had a sanatorium that did all these crazy um, things with sound and light. Um, and I believe the History Center in San Luis Obispo currently has on an exhibition about the Varian brothers who invented radar yes. and were from Halcyon. Yes. And they had all these weird combinations with music and so on. So all right. Uh, Dr. Pat, thank you for joining us. Off we go. We got news and traffic and weather, vocal arts ensemble, and the Templeton High School Ukulele Club are up next. Stick around. The 920 KVEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Wazy. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911.